Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pursuing Greatness Podcast, a place where experts share their wisdom on living well by mastering your health, your wealth, your relationships, and your spirit. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone the best way to support the show is simply to share this episode with your friends and family. Also, if you want to learn more about Mastering Life, go to our website at pursuinggreatnesspodcast.com. With that said, I hope you enjoy the episode. We have a very special guest with us today, so grab your pen and paper and enjoy the journey. All right, we are live. Today we have with us Remy Blumenfeld. Remy is the founder of Brighter Pictures, one of UK's most successful TV production companies, which he sold to Endemol before becoming director of formats for ITV, UK's largest commercial broadcaster. Named by The Independent as one of the most 20 influential gay people in the UK, Remy retrained as a coach, and today he writes about creative leadership for Forbes, Inc., and and works mostly as a special advisor to founders of content companies who want to grow and sell. His nine-part program, Standout, launches this month in September. Remy, thank you very much for hopping on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. It's hot in the UK, which is unusual but I'm enjoying every second of it. It's good to be with you, Gabe. (laughs) Absolutely. And yeah, we were uh, talking before the show. I'm from Seattle. You're from the UK. We each kind of share the same environment. So I know, you know, those hot days are hard, but you got to soak it up while it's there because the clouds are coming right around the corner. Totally. The only difference is you have air conditioning, I guess, and we don't. (laughs) (laughs) That that does make a difference for sure. You got to get inside and get that AC. Awesome. So Remy, again, yeah, thanks for hopping on. Um, to get us started, why don't you tell everybody you know who you are, what you do, and how you got started down that path in the first place? Yeah, when I look at what I'm doing, it kind of surprises even me because I am a coach and business advisor who works exclusively or almost exclusively with the founders of content-driven companies. That is to say, people running game studios, TV production companies, film studios, publishing that kind of thing. And it seems like a very narrow niche. But when I set up my stall, I said I would coach anyone in the creative industries, which already to me seemed quite narrow. And what I discovered is in this digital age, you just can't be narrow enough. And although it was really scary saying I coach the founders of content businesses, once I did that, my business transformed. And I found that my ideal client became my everyday client. And now The only people I coach are people who are specifically drawn to my experience, which I guess takes me a little to my journey because I started out as the founder of a content-driven business, as you mentioned. And I think it's always helpful to, whether you're writing or producing or coaching, to do what you know best and understand because, you know, I've done it. I've learned a lot from all the mistakes I made along the way. Goodness knows there were a lot of those. And so I now exclusively coach people who are following the path that I've taken. So I built and sold a company successfully. In fact, I did it three times with different companies, and I'm now coaching people who want to build and grow and sell in this very challenging market. And and what I found when I was actually running my company towards the end game, or not even towards the end, towards the middle, was that when you get to a certain point in any business, I guess, you're no longer on the coalface. You're no longer making TV shows or doing whatever it is you started doing, you're really coaching people because all the executive producers and directors and leaders who worked for me were coming to me, not so I could tell them how to do their job, 
but how, so I could help them be a better producer or a better director or whatever it was. But the strange thing was I was coaching people who didn't really want to be coached and didn't know they were coming for coaching. And I wasn't trained to be a coach. And yet that was what I was doing. And I think increasingly leaders discover that the role that they find themselves in is one that they're not necessarily equipped or trained for. So I trained as a coach when I was still leading businesses. And I found that that stood me in very good stead um, in this new career of mine, which is not working for one company, but for working for many. Absolutely. No, I love it. And I mean, there's a few things you said uh, that, that really stood out to me. First, you said that you can't be narrow enough. Um, and I really like that because today, in today's day and age, there are, I mean, there's just so many opportunities out there and niching down into, you know, one specific thing, one specific product, one specific market that you can really, really address and really help their needs. Um, you know, there's a there's huge benefit to that. Um, and so I love that, you know, you found your niche, the content, uh, content driven companies, companies that produce content. Um, and that's really, you know, it's the experience that you've had in the past and how you're kind of, um, you know, giving of yourself in the coaching capacity today. And so, um, can't be narrow enough. I love, love that piece of advice. Um, and then also you, you kind of touched on from craftsman to coaching. I think it was uh, shoot. What book was that? Um, I think it was the E-Myth Mastery by uh, Michael Gelb. He talks about, um, you know, a lot of business founders get started because they're craftsmen. You know, they're, they're, they kick ass at making cakes or uh, building houses or whatever. And they're just really good at that. But then they, they start to grow their company and they're like, shit, I got to, you know, these skills that I have have nothing to do with growing a company. And they have to kind of, you know, turn around and become the coach, become the leader. And, and so much of what, yeah, so much of that is like really built into all the modules that I coach people on when they come to me because, you know, in so, some of what I say sounds contradictory. So, for instance, like I really think it's important that if you came into a business because you love doing whatever it is that business does, that you continue doing it because otherwise your life's going to be in misery. You know, if you love producing or you love designing games and then you're not designing games, you're just doing HR and legal and running teams that doesn't make for a very happy person. But what tends to happen, particularly in creative businesses, is that people just only do what they love. So they start a business because they love doing something, not because they love business. They love, they love doing the thing that the business makes. And then the business suffers because no matter what your industry, the biggest production that you ever have on hand at any moment is the business itself. So, you know, our business generally is called show business and yet a lot of people forget the business part and they also forget to focus on their company so if you're running four or five exciting projects for different people you put all your energy into the projects because you feel like that's where your reputation lies that's where people will get to know what you do and of course that is important but if you forget the business itself the people who work for you your suppliers your place in the market then you end up just being a jobbing tradesman with a floundering company. Because at the end of the day, uh, no matter how brilliant your shows, when people look at your company, they're only really looking at your EBITDA, your earnings before interest and tax. So unless you have a steady graph of profit, doesn't matter what the shows are you've made, no one will want to buy you. And unless you're focusing on that bottom line, 
you you won't get anywhere. So it's a really it's a really difficult balance between doing what you love, making sure that you are doing it, otherwise you'll be miserable, but also making sure that the business that you founded isn't neglected. And yeah, that's one of the most hard, difficult lesson, lessons for anyone to to learn. Absolutely. And another thing jumped out when you're saying this. I, I love what you're saying, but you said no one will buy you. And I mean that 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 line in and of itself, um, you know, it comes with a mindset that a lot of people when they start businesses don't really think about. Um, you know, they are they're craftsmen. They want to go out and they want to do what they're really good at. You know, make shows, um, whatever it may be. Um, but they never think about the exit. They don't think about, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do this all my life and there will be an exit at some point. Um, and that e- exit comes with a sale. I mean, when you're creating a business, the exit is selling your business to whoever is going to take the reins next. Um, and there are, there's many things that go into that. It's not just, you, you have to have certain things set up um, in order for it to, to, to be a viable sale. And so I well, love the- yeah, Totally. And also, you know, the exit doesn't come at that moment when you're having your last gasp and thinking, I can't do this anymore. I need to lie down. Um, I remember when I was a kid, um, my grandmother gave me some book on manners. And one of the advice, one of the bits of advice was the best time to leave a party is when everyone's saying, please stay, stay longer. And I think that's really true with selling a business too. You don't want to sell at the last moment. You need to sell when you're on that upward trajectory, when things are doing really well and you've got another great five years left in you because no one buys your company and then waves you goodbye. There's always an earn out to make sure that they're getting paid for, you know, back for what they paid. So you can't leave when you're exhausted. You have to plan your exit in mm-hmm. plenty of time. And usually that's about five good years before you're really ready to go. Right. So you're, you're absolutely right. And I think a lot of, Guilt comes around making profit, particularly in the creative industries, because, you know, in any business, when you start a business because you love what you're doing, it's the craft, it's the thing, it's the putting money on screen, putting money into the production, getting known for what you love. And yet, you know, even artists can't put all the money that they get paid for a commission into the artwork. Otherwise, they won't have anything to live off during the times when they don't have a big commission. And when you're running a business, it's exactly the same. Now, I recommend a 25% drawdown on any paid work. And I know a lot of people will think that's really high. But unless you have a 25% draw, usually in any project, there's about 10% of profit, which is built into the project, which the client will always see. Because that's a, that's a fee or that's, that's built into the project. But you need to have other ways in the budget to reclaim another 15 or 20 percent so that you are profitable in those periods between projects and also at the end of the year when you declare your numbers and it's so much better to pay yourself less and take a dividend than to pay yourself a lot and have very little profit and these are very fundamental bits of advice but they're so crucial to that piece that you were just mentioning that a lot of people ignore which is you set up a business to create value and the only way you can create value is at exit. And the only way that value is realized is as a multiple of your EBITDA. So you need to take care of that profit because no one else in your business will be, especially in a creative business. Everybody wants to find ways to spend every last penny on the thing itself. 
Absolutely. You definitely, you need to build in your profit in the, in the, in the planning phase of your business. Um, you can't just expect it to, to materialize, um, as you go about. So I, I love that piece of advice. Um, I do, I want to shift the conversation just a little bit. Um, we're in, I mean, we're recording this August, uh, 14th, 2020. And so this is very unique times because, um, we are in the midst of COVID, um, and COVID has hit many different businesses or, pretty much every business has been affected in some way or another, um, some more than others, by COVID. Um, it's, a, it's a huge, I mean, global event that's going on that is just destroying a lot of businesses. So especially smaller businesses, um, kind of take us, what, what have you seen the challenges that, that businesses have faced um, going through COVID and, uh, and kind of what are some solutions that you could kind of recommend um, to, for people to overcome those? Yeah, well, it's a kind of long, long answer. But when I went into COVID with everyone else, I kind of imagined that I would see a lot of my clients retrenching. And of course, that has happened, you know, particularly in the entertainment sector. No filming has been able to take place except filming at home, which is pretty much non-existent for my client. So everyone's been put on furlough. So there's been a lot of retrenchment. And I did expect to see that. And I even expected to see that I would lose some clients because not that coaching is a luxury item, but if you've got no business coming in, you can't afford a coach. coach about. And what I saw was that. I mean, that did happen, no doubt about it. A lot of my companies retrenched. But what I also saw, Gabe, was new companies coming to me for advice because they were launching. And you can imagine my surprise at the first of those calls. I've had four new clients who come in to work with me who have launched their businesses during the past few months. And what that made me realize and I know as a coach, I'm meant to know all this without having clients come and teach me things. But honestly, <laughs> we're all learning. we all learn both ways, right? And, and what I saw was these people who were launching businesses at this really challenging time were creating businesses ideally suited for this environment, mm. not necessarily always around the products and services that come out of a crisis, but they were launching businesses that were purpose fit for this storm. And if you imagine, you know, there's a port and there's all these big ships in the port docking because of the storm. And now you have these little boat builders building ships which are kind of storm resilient. And so I think there's a huge amount the rest of us can learn from these pandemic startups. In the first place, it really is important to be very lean, to have very low fixed overheads, as low as possible. They're building CG that in <laughs> yeah, to no or little office space. Um, I mean, this is a terrible thing for the community as a whole, but as a founder, when you're responsible for the well-being of your business, it's really important not to have a lot of people on the payroll. You know, I'm all in favor of hiring as many people as you can, but if you're not sure of what money's coming in. So so on the one hand, I had I had these new founders who were creating lean, small companies um, with very low fixed overheads, with products and services designed to be very at a very low cost base. And on the other hand, I had companies who had been thriving before who had to pretty much stop what they were doing. The other thing I noticed was, you know, my, the founders who I coach who have been in business a long time, a lot of them were struggling with the pressure of having to pay for so many people who have become like family and friends mm -hmm. who rely on them and the business to bring in business. 
And that was a pressure that pre-existed COVID. You know, they were taking on jobs they didn't necessarily love or feel passionate about just because they had 40 or 50 people who had to be paid every month, as well as, as the office overhead, which you mentioned. Um, so they, they were, there's a heaviness to them. They weren't necessarily older, but they felt heavier and older than the young or similar age founders who were starting companies now who didn't have that pressure on them because mm-hmm. it was just them and a partner and no office. So they're much leaner, much slimmer. They were doing what they loved. And so a lot of what I've taken from these pandemic startups and given back to my long-term clients is, is really this question, Gabe. It's what kind of business would you found today if you were starting afresh? What kind of business do you feel has a long-term future? What kind of business is viable in this uncertain market? And then following from that, what kind of products and services would you like to deliver if you were starting now, you know, with no baggage, with no legacy, with no history, if you're having a completely fresh start? And it's a, it's a question which invariably evokes a kind of lightness and excitement in my clients because effectively, that is the opportunity that exists for all of us right now. You know, we can call it retrenching, which sort of implies that we're just doing exactly what we did before, but on a smaller scale. Or we can reframe it and see it as relaunching. And relaunching in a completely new and exciting way, which is much more aligned to, to where we're at. Because another thing that all my pandemic startup founders have is a very values-driven business, which delivers real value to a community or a group of people. And of course, in this, in this climate, that's what we respond to. You know, so ha- a lot of companies kind of have existed for years without really being clear about who they're serving. And, and back to the original point about the niche, they might be serving a lot of people, but not with any depth or feeling or, uh, or focus. So my challenge to, to all my clients and people coming in afresh is to say, what do you really want to do? How many people do you really need to do it? What's the least amount of money you can spend to make this happen rather than the most? And, and also be sure that you love doing it because, you know, if you've got a big, heavy pre-existing business, a lot of what you're doing is just because you're doing it. And you can't really turn down a big project, especially when you know that it's going to keep 40 people who you're very close to employed. But from where we're standing now, which is really for most businesses, a standing start. I mean, there are obviously some exceptions, but for most, it's a standing start. I think looking at it as a relaunch around what you're passionate about, what you'd love to do, what the community really needs, what your values are, and making it purpose fit for this climate is really, is really essential. And although it's scary, it's, it's exciting and much more positive than going, you know, how can we run the same ocean liner out to sea in this storm? It's much more exciting to say, what can we take from this ocean liner to create a new boat that will actually stay afloat for a bit? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this, uh, I mean, you said it yourself, there is a lot of opportunity. Um, you know, this is a horrible thing that we're going through, but there, there is a lot of opportunity and you, you're seeing it in your own coaching business and in, in that people have an opportunity to reconsider what they, what they view as a business. I've, you know, I've spoken to a lot of, uh, of colleagues and friends who, you know, their dream is to own this giant, large company, a hundred, 200 people. 
Um, and then I, I ask him like, is, is that really what you want? Is that, you know, it's not necessary. And, and we're, we're seeing it today in that businesses can run super lean. Um, you don't need a huge office space. You don't need, you know, 30,000 square foot of, uh, of high rise office, office space. Um, you can, you can work remote. Um, a lot of people on the team, um, you know, it is very, it's very difficult to, to downsize and to lose people that, you know, you do consider family, but, um, you know, this is a good opportunity for people to consider what is necessary for the business. What do, what do you actually need to move forward? Um, and so it sounds like being lean and getting real clarity on, on where you're going in the future is, uh, is the, the silver lining that you're seeing in, uh, in this pandemic right now. Yeah, and it's possible for companies of a certain size to do that. And, you know, I had some companies that were had recently founded before the pandemic, and they were quite lean. So they were fine because they didn't have big fixed overheads. Um, the huge companies have had to let a lot of people go and, and retrench. And I think in a way, it's, it's medium-sized businesses that are hit the worst because, you know, there's, there's no shareholders to support them. It's just whatever reserves they've got in the bank. And for them to repurpose is perhaps the hardest. For small companies and young companies and startups now, you know, it's, it's really, they are, they're in the best position. They're in the best position because the lower your fixed overhead, it's as simple as that. The lower your fixed overheads, the better position you're in. Absolutely. So if you're a founder or thinking about founding out there and you feel the pressure to grow, grow with office space, grow with more people, grow with more expenditures, you don't have to. Reconsider. Um, take take the opportunity to think, you know, just because the opportunity is there, you don't have to take it and you can stay lean. Um, lean works as we're seeing in today's environment. And um, I think awesome. it, it ties into another really important thing that you sort of touched on there around, you know, people who you've been speaking to who want to found companies with hundreds of people in a big high rise offices. And I think it touches into kind of, we have, all of us have an idea of success, mm-hmm. which doesn't necessarily come from ourselves because you know very often success is about what other people think is successful you know what what did what do your parents think is successful what do your friends think is successful what do magazines report on what what is seen by the world as successful and those things often today look a little bit outdated because you're quite right you know it was about the number the headcount the size of your office yes your the, the size of your turnover, but those other trappings were really important. And now I think we have to redefine success on our own terms. And it's something that I've, I've always been really keen on insisting with clients is to get everyone to define for themselves what success would look like for the year ahead, for five years ahead, in every area of their life. And I know that you segment your podcast into different uh, swim lanes, but really, you know, your health and fitness your mental mindset, your relationships all feed into how you feel about yourself. And all of that feeds into how you are, who you are at work, how you show up for your colleagues and how you're able to build a business and create wealth. And so even though I am predominantly a business coach, I, I take all those other areas into account because all of those other areas are really important to what kind of a leader you are. And I think a lot of leaders, you know, the more businessy, their business is the more they want to be given you know clear instructions about what to do and what not to do and in fact it's really about who to be who to be and who not to be because when you lead from a place of 
purpose and clarity and values when you're really clear about what success looks like to you as distinct from the rest of the world, uh, you're a much better leader and you feel more successful because you've achieved your goals as opposed to other people's. And I think when we're trying to achieve success in other people's eyes, we, we never do because there are always people who are way more successful doing other things that we haven't thought of doing. It's really important at every juncture to go, what would success look like for me for the next 12 months? And this is a great time to redefine that. You know, if you were one of those people who was thinking it's about size, it's about office square footage, it's about headcount, now is a great time to go, well, would that, is that what really brings me joy? Having 100, 200, 300 people reliant on me to pay their wages every month. Because yeah. very few people actually enjoy that pressure. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, uh, sometimes it's hard to, to make, um, you know, to separate, to, to, to identify what it is that you want versus what it is that you want that is actually what other people want. Um, I, I mean, I, for me, I, I still struggle with it to this day, but you know, I'm getting better as, as things go along. I, for me, what's helped um, the most is like just being alone and finding solid find, times of solitude um, kind of makes me understand what, what it is that I actually want versus what it is that I'm, I'm doing because uh, I, I think I should want. Um, but yeah, that, that is, that's a hard thing for sure. Well, I have a, I'll have a little help with that um, for anyone listening. There's a fantastic book by Bronnie Ware, which is called Five Regrets of the Dying. It sounds a little oh, nice. depressing, um, but it just so happens that Bronnie Ware was a palliative care nurse. So she had an extraordinary experience of being there at the end for hundreds, if not thousands, of men and women. And do you know what? At the end, as a human being, we have, we have five regrets. She chronicled them because she was sitting there holding people's hands in their last weeks and days. And the one is, I wish I hadn't spent so much time away from home at the office, predominantly for men, but it's a, it's a common one. I wish I'd laughed and had more fun. I wish I'd connected more profoundly with the people who I loved and who I cared about. Um, and, you know, if you think those are the top three regrets of the dying, you've, you, it can give you a little bit of a pointer as to what to do and what to not do now. It has to do with who we love and who loves us and the connection that we're able to spend and enjoy with them. And I'm incredibly privileged, Gabe, because in my 20s, I was given a terminal diagnosis by doctors and I was alone in a hospital with my Irish terrier dog called Sam not knowing at the time that the only reason they allowed me to keep my dog in a national health hospital was because they thought it was going to be my last night. Wow. And I say incredibly lucky because, you know, having faced that point in my life, I really came out of that hospital recognizing that all the things I thought were important, how much money I had, how many awards I'd won, what property I owned, were completely meaningless. Literally completely meaning. The only thing that mattered in that time for me was who I loved and who loved me. And that's all that was on my mind. That was all I was thinking about. That was all that mattered. So I could have been in that same hospital bed with hundreds of millions in the bank and a whole shelf of awards. But if I didn't have the family and friends around me that I had, I, I know what I would have felt. So I think we can look to the regrets of the dying to give us some ideas about what's really important while we're alive. Yeah, absolutely. No, that sounds like a really good book. I'm going to have to pick it up. 
Um, and, and I couldn't agree more, uh, relationships, you know, in the media world that we live in, um, it's, it's often easy to get pulled into, you know, focusing so much on career, but, um, relationships really are what life is about. And I, and I, it sounds like that's what she's saying in her book. And uh, I couldn't agree more because that is, that's the core of life for sure. It, it uh, is. And it ties into what we were just saying that, you know, when you're refocusing on what kind of a business you want to have, think about what kind of a life you want to have too, because if you want a business with 400 people in your employ, that's going to be a life, a life with that much more attendance stress. And those people who work for you are not your friends because the people who you employ can't be your friends. It's not an equal relationship. They, you're the person they go to complain about when they're having a drink at the pub after work. They're the person who they talk to their wife about. So you, you have to understand that you, you're not, working with friends. Your friends are different people from the people you employ. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Remy, I, I have a, I've loved this conversation. We are at the end of the episode. Um, it goes by so quick. Um, so first, thank you for, for the conversation. I've enjoyed it. Um, to end out, we always end with a few quick questions. The first one being, you've already touched on it, so I'm, you got you got a head start on this one. Um, okay. Book love recommendations. That. I love books. <laughs> So if you could give one book recommendation on, uh, on living life and then one book recommendation on the topic that you're talking about, which uh, you can either go business or media or whatever it may be. Um, so I, I love a book called The Art of Possibility. And The Art of Possibility is written by Rosamund Stone Zander and her husband, Benjamin Zander. She's a psychoanalyst. He's an orchestral conductor. And it tells beautiful stories about the paradigms of life. And it, I just recommend it highly. It's enjoyable and it's fun. And what was the other book I had to recommend? A book <laughs> the art of possibility. That sounds great. Um, the, the, I don't know which one you wanted to throw that the two categories were business and life. Um, well, I guess that's sort of, um, different approaches to business and life in itself. And then, yeah, I've, I've already given you Bronnie Ware's regrets of the dying which is for life. So we've got, we've got two great books for people to take away. Awesome. Yep. Great recommendations. Um, next one, you know, we use a ton of apps and, uh, and tools in our day-to-day -day life. Um, I think too many, but some of them really do contribute to, you know, our life. Um, so if you could give one tool or app that, that really does, you know, add value to your life, what would that be? Um, I guess it would be acuity scheduling just because it does all my scheduling for me. And right. makes that part of life really easy. I love it. Um, next question. You know, we, uh, you've had quite a career behind you, a lot of ups and downs. Um, I'm sure tons of lessons learned along the way. So if you could go back to the Remy, um, who, you know, just starting out, just getting into his first company, um, and give that Remy one piece of advice moving forward, what would it be? Gosh, just one. You know, <laughs> so much advice just comes from being a little bit older, but I think it would be, don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, that is uh that's good. And it's hard when you're young for sure. You gotta, you know, I'm, I'm still young, but you, you gotta, um, you, you gotta grow out of that one for sure. Uh, so the next, next question, um, habits are the foundation of our life. It's a, uh, it's kind of what builds what we build our life upon. Um, so what is one habit that, uh, contributes the most to your fulfillment in life? To my fulfillment, um, probably call, just calling my closest friends every day. 
Calling friends. I like that one. That one's uh, it's really, you're the first person to say that, but I really like that, that response. Final question. Um, you know, you've given us a lot of things to think about a lot of good advice. I'm sure there's people listening and watching who want to reach out. Um, so if they did want to reach out, what would be the best way for them to get in contact with you? So the best way to contact me is at Remy Blumenfeld.com. And that is R E M Y. B-L-U-M-E-N-F-E-L-D.com. I'm the only Remy Blumenfeld in the world, but I'm hard to spell. Um, so if you if you go there, we can be in touch. Awesome. Remy Blumenfeld.com, R-E-M-Y-B-L-U-M-E-N-F-E-L-D. I'll put that link in the show notes too. So if, uh, if you're listening, watching, you want to get in contact with Remy, click through there and, uh, and you can reach out. Again, Thank Remy. you, Kate. So much fun. I really enjoyed this. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you for, for hopping on. Um, for everybody who's on this journey with us today, thank you guys for showing up. Couldn't do it without you. Um, and again, the best way to support the show is just to subscribe, like, and share it with your friends and family. Um, I hope you guys have a great week and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Pursuing Greatness podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show and got some actionable advice and insights that you can apply to your own life today. If you enjoyed the show and you'd like to support us, the best way to do so would just be to subscribe to the show and share this episode with your friends and your family. If you'd like to learn more about how to master your life by mastering your health, wealth, relationships, and spirit, head on over to our website at pursuinggreatnesspodcast.com. With that said, I hope you have an absolutely amazing day. Keep living in integrity with yourself, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.